You're listening to the Renew Life Church podcast. We hope this message inspires you and challenges you to become a true disciple of Jesus. To find out more about us, go to RenewLifeChurch.com. All right. Can you hear me good? Yeah. Make sure I hit the right button. Well, welcome. So glad you're here. Uh, if this is your first time, can we give all of our first-time guests a round of applause? So glad you're here. Um, before I get jump right into the message, uh, I'm gonna I want to do something that I honestly wasn't planning on doing. Uh, the next few minutes, if I can get through these next couple of minutes, it'll probably mean more to me than it does to you. But just bear with me. But uh, there's a couple people here tonight that, um, to be quite honest with you, this church wouldn't exist without them. They, um, they are two amazing, amazing young women, <laughs> and um, one believed in me when I was just a little punk, and some might say, well, he might still be a little bit of a punk, but uh, no, she believed in us, and her and her husband served my family uh, through some really, really difficult times, and were examples to us uh, for so, so long, and uh, she's, you may see her here occasionally, but I don't get ever, much of a chance to acknowledge her sometimes. But Ann Smith is the beautiful young lady here in the green jacket. Let's give her a hand clap. And I, I don't think she would mind me saying this. Her husband's in heaven, uh, and she is single and ready to mingle. And so, um, so if you're looking, there's a Jim Dandy right there on the second row in the green jacket. So... Uh, anyway, love you, Ann. And also, someone else is, who's here is, I think it's your very first time. Am I right, Barbara? Is this your first time in the building? Second? Um, I must have missed the first one, but this is her second time. Uh, she, uh, the older I get, the longer I do this, the more I realize that there are, there are intercessors, there are prayers, there are those that may never greet, hand out an offering uh, envelope, a communion element. They may, may never come up on a stage or teach a kid's classroom, but they might be more responsible for the building of the church through the worn spots on the knees of their pants. And this, this lady has been a prayer. Her and her husband, when they first came to our church, uh, if I'm being really honest, I felt sorry for them that I had to be their pastor. Um, I was like, I'm so sorry. This, this is what you got, you know. And, but her and her husband, Don, Don's in heaven. Uh, but this is the first time I've got to see you in the service, Miss Barbara. So if you would just wave and let everybody know you're here. Can we just honor Barbara? And I won't say she's single and ready to mingle. I'm already in trouble with one, so I won't get, I won't get myself in trouble with two. So anyway, I just wanted to honor them. I thank you guys so much for what you mean to this church. It wouldn't exist without you guys. So one more time, can you guys just give them a round of applause? Thank you. All right, enough of the snot. Uh, get your Bibles open to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Who likes the Bible? Yes. All right, you should. It's a pretty good book. Um, the title of today's message is actually quite simplistic, and I, uh, I'm, I'm going to try not to oversell this, but I think it's one of the more simple messages that I've ever preached, but if taken seriously, it could be one of the most potent messages uh, that, I've ever, that I've ever preached. And as I was talking with Leanne about this particular message and what I felt the Lord had me do, 
I, I feel like a lot of my life, my life's work is in this, this particular message. Again, not trying to oversell it, but I just want you to know personally how I feel uh, about this message. Um, I want to read to you a, a scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 30 that was the foundation scripture for actually the first ministry I ever got to uh, birth my own, of my own. Uh, way back in the day, I was hired to be the youth pastor for a church in Amarillo, Texas. And when they hired me to be the youth pastor, they said, you can start from scratch, you can rename the youth group, you, you're even gonna get a budget. Uh, and for all you young people, that means money. Uh, budget means money. And so uh, I was even gonna get a budget to redo the, the, the game room. And it was just pretty incredible opportunity for me. And it was this scripture right here in Deuteronomy chapter 30 that was the foundation scripture uh, for, for the name of the youth group. And so this is a, a, a passage of scripture that's very near and dear to my heart. But I wanna read this to you, uh, starting in verse 19. It says, today I have given you the choice. Turn to your neighbor and say, you choose. He said, I've given you the choice between life and death, blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice that you make. Oh, that you would choose life. Listen to the emotion here. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. Now, for those of you who come to church to get a good nap in, I've got you tricked because uh, I'm going to give you the punchline at the very beginning of the service. I'm not going to wait to the end so that you can hear what you're supposed to hear and then you can get right to your nap. Amen? <laughs> Cody, you don't get to take a nap. You kind of have a job to do. So. Uh, I, you, have to walk, you have to walk out these doors today with this phrase seared in your mind. Are you ready? Your life will not end up the way God designed. Your life will end up the way you decide. I want you to hear that again. Your life will not end up the way God designed, but it will end up the way that you decide. Now before you get all discouraged, let me clean this up a little bit. I wanted that to be a bit of a jarring, a jarring statement. Last week, Keith did an unbelievable job. How many of you guys were here last week? Did you hear Keith's message? One, if you haven't heard that message, please go on YouTube or wherever else we keep that stuff and uh, listen to that message. It was one of the more powerful messages on grace that I think I've ever heard. It impacted even my own life. I, I told him, I said, man, I've, some of the stuff you said, I, I've, never, I've never heard. And I love how he brought out, you know, in that teaching on living from grace, uh, how you weren't just saved, uh, you know, from something. You were saved unto something and learning how to live every single day from that place of grace. I love how he talked about how he was not just uh, wounded for our transgressions, but he was also bruised for our iniquities. Transgressions outside sins, iniquities inside sins. I'm here to tell you today that the blood of Jesus was, clean, was strong enough to cleanse you from the inside out. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Uh, I'll tell you, that is one for me that I, when he said that, even it just so ministered to me, especially uh, knowing the life that I, well, knowing the struggles I had as a young leader uh, in the church, uh, I was pretty good at keeping my outside life clean. But if I'm being really honest with you, I still struggle with some things on the insides. Anybody else struggle with your thought life sometimes? Sometimes you have a thought and you're like, oh my gosh, there's no way I can go to heaven thinking like this, you know? Uh, and I, man, I, when Keith brought that message uh, last week, I just thought it was such a powerful word, understanding the true fullness of what it means uh, to be the righteousness of God, of God in Christ Jesus, both inside and out. And so again, if you haven't watched that, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. But as amazing as the message was, amazing as the new covenant is, I, I'm here to tell you that the new covenant isn't a covenant where there is reward without a response. Hear me. 
This is not a, a covenant where there's a reward without a response. Take, for instance, salvation itself. The, the introduction into this new covenant, giving Jesus your life, making him the Lord of your life, it doesn't come by just believing. It comes from you responding to your belief by opening up your mouth and confessing Jesus as Lord. So even the start of the new covenant doesn't just require uh, believing something, it requires a faith-filled response to take hold of that righteousness. Again, what am I saying here? The life that God has for you, he has a, he has a plan for you, he has, he has a, a life designed for you. But just because he has it designed for you doesn't mean you're automatically gonna have everything he's designed for you. He's given you the choice. Turn to your neighbor and say, you choose. I, I, um, because I believe this so strongly and because I believe that Jesus, hear me, what Jesus did on the cross made a way made it possible for you to have every single thing that heaven had to offer. And I want you to imagine that every single thing that heaven has to offer is literally sitting right in front of you. But every single bit of, a, bit of it must be grabbed a hold of by a faith-filled response or a faith-filled decision. Just like we read in Deuteronomy 30, 19, we have been given one of the most powerful things on the planet and that is the ability to choose. The life that God has for you, you actually have to choose it. You actually have to, by faith, choose to walk in the freedom that he purchased on the cross. You have to choose to walk in, by faith, every single thing that he has for you. And my heart today was just to honestly give you what I believe are five um, pillars, five foundational truths of how to make decisions, kingdom based decisions so that you can fully take hold of everything that Jesus purchased for you on the cross. Anybody interested in that? Again, some of these will be very simple, uh, but again, I believe they are, are, are potent enough to talk about. Number one, the number one, and, I, and, one and two, apart from one and two, these don't necessarily come in any particular order, but one for absolute certainty. It is number one. It always will be number one. You've got to get this down in your heart. Number one, the number one pillar for every decision you should make in your life from here to eternity is the written word of God. The written, written word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. We stand upon the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Come on, Baptists. Woo-woo! I actually don't know. I just said woo-woo. That was not a part of it. That was not a part of it. Well, um... I guess that's a Baptist thing. I don't know. <laughs> the written word of God in John chapter 1, starting into verse 1, it says, in the beginning. Say in the beginning. in the beginning. This is the foundation. This is the start. This is the beginning. It says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was nothing, or he was with God in the beginning. Now, hang on just a second. He went from talking about what looked to be an it, the word, and all of a sudden he turned the word into a he. Track with me. He, this word, was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. It sounds like a foundational element to me. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Skip down to verse 14. It says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling 
among us. Are you starting to connect the dots? We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. I propose to you that the reason the word is the foundation is because the word is Jesus. And Jesus is the chief cornerstone of the church. But I want you to understand that it's not just the word of God. I'm, I'm, I'm spe- specifying here. It's not just the word of God because we're going to find out later that the word of God can come in a, f- a few different ways. But I'm talking about the written word of God. For whatever reason, God saw fit in his redemptive plan to always make sure there were words, his words, written down. Even the Ten Commandments was God saying, I want, even if I have to come and scratch them in stone with my own finger, I'm going to make sure that there are written commandments for you to follow. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit and co-laboring with other disciples and, and Christian men and leaders, he penned the Bible. He's always made sure that we had the written word of God to base our decisions upon. Let me explain to you why that's so important that we have the written word of God. It will never change. We'll talk about other stuff later here in a minute uh, about prophetic words and spiritual things and, 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 and words by the Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit. And, all, and those might change. Those change seasonally. But I propose to you, the written word of God never changes. It never changes. I don't care what happens in culture. The Bible stays the same. I don't care who gets elected. The Bible stays the same. And know what, I don't care what happens in culture, and I don't care who gets elected. My faith is not in culture. My faith is not in a political group. My faith is in the written word of God. My faith is in the Bible. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> Let me just say this. Any decision, and again, what are, we talk, what are we talking about here? Making decisions. How are we supposed to make decisions that get us to the place, the life that God designed for us? How do we choose to walk in this? by basing every decision we make on the Word of God. The principles in the Word should be the foundation of every decision we make. It should be the the foundation for every single thing we do with our time, everything we do with our money, how we handle our children, how we uh, relate to our spouse, the jobs we choose, the cities we live in, whether we send our kids to public school, private school, the foundation for every single one of these decisions, these t- difficult decisions at times, the foundation of those decisions should be based in the Word of God. And I've learned this one, I, I guess I could say the hard way. Any decision that you make that is backed by Scripture is a decision that is covered in grace. It's one of the beautiful things about the New Covenant. As long as I am activating faith by doing what the Word says, even if I have somewhat misinterpreted exactly what the Scripture is saying, because of my faith released in the Scriptures, then I activate the new covenant, and the thing that I was attempting to do, even though my actions were not perfect, the thing that I was attempting to do because of the faith in my heart, all of a a sudden, God makes it the right decision. The Lord gave me this image this morning as I was praying through this message. It was kind of an interesting image, but what I saw was like, it was like a mountain bike trail. And I want you to imagine that your life and God's perfect plan for your life is this mountain bike trail with some turns and some jumps and all these different things. And you're just pedaling along, pedaling along. And all of a sudden you think you're making the right turn here and there's this trail, but it actually wasn't a trail. It actually wasn't what God had for you. 
when you make decisions based on a scripture, even if at the time you're not exactly interpreting it the right way or following exactly what the scripture says, it's almost as if Jesus himself comes down out of heaven with a chainsaw and a bush hog and starts cutting down trees and clearing a path saying, you know what, this isn't really what I had planned, but I love the faith. And next thing you know, he smooths out a way for you to get back on the trail. That's what grace looks like. You don't have to be perfect, but you do have to walk in faith. Perfection doesn't get you God's best. Faith does. We will never qualify with our actions for God's best. Jesus was the only one that qualified for God's best with his actions. And then he traded us that perfect, perfect life and all the rewards that come with it if he says, if you'll just walk by faith, you can have this. If you'll just walk by faith, you can have the life that only I deserve. I, um, I think this is important. I, I, parents hear my heart on this one. Young people hear my heart on this one. I, I actually think it's, it's why it's very, very important that, I, well, let me back up a little bit. I think we should teach our kids about spiritual things. I think we should teach our kids about hearing God and hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. I think we should, should teach our kids about how to move in the gifts of the Spirit, and we'll get to some of that here in a minute. But let me just say this. I, there's a reason why the Word comes first. And if you are a young person or if you are a parent of young people, before you go teaching them how to hear God, teach them how to read their Bible. Teach them the black and white scriptures in the word of God. And here's why this is important. Especially young people, you get this. There are so many voices in your head. There are so many voices in your head. And we have a culture that's trying to tell our young people to live your own truth. Whatever, and, and we all know this about our emotions. Sometimes how we feel can feel true. What we're feeling, it, it feels true to us. But I propose it is not true unless it's measured against the truth. I don't care how strong it feels. And until you know the truth, you cannot know what is true. And if we don't teach our, peop our young people and even ourselves to get in the word and, and, and understand what the black and white scriptures of the Bible, and I know this is going to sound old-fashioned, but just read your Bible. Just reading your Bible you say, man, I, really, I, I want a word from God. I have one. Read your Bible. That's your word. <laughs> it's the word that turns into many words. <laughs> but I want, I want young people to know the scriptures, the word of God, the Bible. Why? So when those voices start in their head and all the pressures start in their head, they, can, they have something to measure all those voices against and go, that doesn't sound like God. That doesn't sound like God. Oh, this one, it feels real. My emotions are trying to tell me this is true, but that's not what the Scripture says. And eventually they'll have a thought or something that lines up with what they've read, and then they can go, that's God. Amen. That's how you learn to hear God. You learn the things that He said for sure. And if it is in this book, He said it for sure. It is the inspired Word of God. It is the foundation for hearing God. The written scriptures are the foundation for hearing God. It's the foundation for every decision we should ever make. Number two, ready? If you're taking notes, number two. If you're not taking notes, start. <laughs> number two, number one's the, the Word of God, the written Word of God. Number two is the Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, verse 14, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these 
are the sons of God. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. We should be making Spirit-led decisions. Here's what I love about the Spirit of God and why the, why the Word comes first. Because once, once we get that Word ingrained in our heart, there are so many principles in that Word. But every now and then something comes up, and I'm pretty certain you're not going to find in Scripture exactly whether you're supposed to marry Tim or Tom. First of all, if you're dating a Tim and a Tom, you need to stop. Pick one and go with it. You know, just <laughs> cut that out, you know. There's not going to be a Scripture for that. But there are foundational principles in the Word that say don't be unequally yoked together. So if Tim and Tom don't line up with your faith, get them out. You can clap. That, that's fine. That's a good clapping point. Get them out. <laughs> don't be, come on, young ladies, don't be missionary dating. Don't, oh, he's so cute. I'm going to get him saved once we get together. No, you won't. No, you won't. If his mama couldn't get him saved, you can't either. Just kidding. So there's foundational things about that, but when it gets, when you start going, yeah, Lord, but I, I need some specifics here. Am I supposed to take this job or this job? Am I supposed to send my kids to public school, private school, home school? Am I supposed to move to this city or that city? Am I supposed to go to this church or that church? How many of you guys know those are important decisions? How many of you guys know there's not a scripture for those? That's why the Lord made sure, why Jesus made sure. He told his disciples, he said, when I leave, something better's coming. He's going to walk you through the specifics of this life and through the, through, the, through the Holy Spirit, he's going to walk you through the specifics of life to get you to the life that God designed. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. What does that tell us? When I'm led by the Spirit, it connects me to my sonship. Jesus didn't come to save servants. Jesus didn't come to save friends. He came to save family. He came to save us unto family. He has servants, angels. He had friends in the old covenant, but the old covenant wasn't the same as the new covenant. He came to make us sons and daughters. He came to put his blood in us. And it says that when you are led by the Spirit of God, it is connecting you to your place as a son and a daughter of the Most High God. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And it's an interesting thing. I actually had this conversation with someone this, this past week about this very thing. Um, you have to understand some of the, the personality characteristics of the Holy Spirit. He's a gentleman. He doesn't come barging in. If you've ever uh, heard about speaking in tongues and it kind of freaks you out or whatever, uh, and you say, well, you know, I, just, I don't speak in tongues. The Holy Spirit's never done that. He ain't going to. Very, very few cases have I ever heard of where someone didn't want to speak in tongues and next thing you know, they were speaking in tongues. The Holy Spirit needs something to work with. He's a gentleman. He doesn't force himself in. You actually have to take a step of faith and start moving your mouth and engaging in the natural process, and then the Holy Spirit comes behind. You have to open the door. He doesn't come kicking doors down. It's not the way he works. And so if you want to learn to hear the Holy Spirit, because of the way he approaches you, because he approaches you gently, because he approaches you with a still, small voice, you have to activate, uh, maybe I should say it a different way, you have to learn to put under the loud, screaming voice of the flesh so that you can hear the still, small voice of the Spirit. Sometimes we're not hearing the Spirit because our flesh is so loud. You know, I didn't understand this early on in, in, in life. Uh, and over the last few years, I've developed a, a, a passion for and a love for fasting. 
And it's a very interesting principle how me just not eating food sometime, somehow makes me grow spiritually. I propose to you that when I just simply don't eat food, I'm telling my flesh, you go to the back of the line. Spirit, you come to the front of the line. I don't want a cheeseburger. I don't want a cheeseburger. I don't care. <laughs> it's training your flesh. Some, some, some of you, you have a problem even with alcohol. I, don't have a, I, I can't find a scripture that says you should never drink. If you find it, you wrote it in there because it's not in there. <laughs> but, you know, I know a lot, especially young people, they, especially when they're learning how to exercise their freedom and they're trying, to, they're trying to find mentors and leaders to father them through this place of freedom and how much is too much. And how many of you guys all know when, when you first start like, embracing the idea that maybe you can drink as a Christian, you want to know, like, where's that line when you're drunk? Because the Bible says don't get drunk, and you're like, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> Let me say this. If you're doing this, you need to fast. That's because your flesh has more control than your spirit. And if you're the one that, man, I just, I feel like I'm always on the line. Sometimes I don't cross the line, and sometimes, oh, yeah, I, yeah, I for sure. New Year's Eve, 100% cross that line. I was way over here. Get control of it and say, you know what? There's going to be a season where I say, I don't care what's going on. I don't care what party's going on. I don't care what holiday's going on. I don't care what quinceanera's going on. I don't care what's going on. The answer for me is no. And training your flesh when everybody else gets a yes and you're getting a no, ooh, it's so tough. Well, come on, don't you want to have some? No, no. Flesh is at the back of the line. Spirit's at the front. Because as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they're the sons of God. And there's a call on my life. There's some things that Jesus purchased. And I'm not going to let a loud flesh drown out a quiet spirit and me not get there. I, I use this example with this, with this young person. Remember the Holy Spirit, he's whispering. He's always trying to give us instructions. And sometimes our flesh is, he's whispering. He's going, hey, I've got something right here. I've got something much for you. And our flesh is just banging and clanging. And we can't hear him because our flesh is getting center stage. It's so loud. I encourage you, if you want, if you want to do a prophetic act, if you want to take a prophetic step forward into putting your spirit back in the front of the line, I do encourage you to ask the Lord, seek the Lord. Start with natural fasting. But say, Lord, what are some things that are getting too much, too, natural things that are getting too much place in my life? What are some things that are dictating my decisions? I want to be spirit-led, but sometimes I feel like I'm NFL-led or March Madness-led or work-led or whatever led you are. Even in your work, you're supposed to be spirit-led. Even if you have a crazy, oh, you know, know my work schedule. I, I, I've been there before too. And sometimes you've got to, with a busy work schedule, you've got to work extra hard to make sure, no, 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 I'm still not led by an, employee, an employer. I honor my employer. I serve my employer. I follow the Spirit. I mean, I just feel like the Lord, I didn't even say that in the first service, but I feel like there's, there's some of you that need to hear that. You're working for someone. In fact, this is going to be a little bit random, and I know we're, we're, we're filming this for, the, for YouTube and whatnot, but uh, I feel like there's some people in here that you're struggling 
follow, you think you're struggling by following the Spirit because the place that you work, the employer that you work for is not following Jesus and you feel a tug of war right now in being led by the Spirit and honoring your employer. Is that, if that's you, just lift your hand. Leave them up. We're going to pray for you. Anybody else? Don't miss it. Going once, going twice. I just felt that super strong right now. Lord, I just thank you right now for this, these two people right here. And Lord, I just ask that you begin to release courage. Courage. Almost dangle their inheritance out in front of them and say, I, if you'll follow me instead of an employer, I'll bless you with the employer and I'll connect you to your inheritance. So right now, I just thank you for wisdom in both of their lives of how they continue to honor their boss, honor that leader. And I even get a sense, you may even get the opportunity to lead them to the Lord because of you're following the Holy Spirit, even if it didn't look like you were following them. You honor them, but you follow him. And I thank you for releasing courage and wisdom into them right now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. What are we talking about? Kingdom-based decisions. Number one, the Word of God. Number two, the Holy Spirit. Number three, prophecy. Number three, prophecy. This will be a, a new one for a lot of people, I think, because you're like, why? I'm supposed to be making decisions based on prophecy. Oh, let, me, let me read you a couple things. First of all, I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians 14, but let me help you understand what happened in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul writes and he outlines the manifestational gifts of the Holy Spirit. He talks about miracles, healings, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, supernatural faith, uh, discerning of spirits. He outlines these spiritual gifts. Then in 1 Corinthians 13, he is, this is a love chapter. I mean, you guys know about 1 Corinthians 13. This is the love chapter. Love is patient, love is kind, yada, yada, yada. And at the end, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So he's got, we've got this whole chapter on spiritual gifts. We've got this whole chapter on love. But that leads us into 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, that says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts. Let me just say this to you before we go any further. Some of you in here, you, don't know, you, you think God didn't give you certain gifts. I propose to you that when your, desire increase, when your desire increases, so will the gifts. You have permission right here. He would not tell you to desire something that you could never have. That would be cruel, and that's not who he is. Why did he tell you to desire those? Desire is an act of faith. He said, desire the gifts of the Spirit, of the Spirit notice this, especially prophecy. Especially prophecy. Now, why would, would he instruct us of all the, the manifestational gifts of the Holy Spirit? Why would he highlight prophecy? The Bible says where there is no vision, people perish. Prophecy gives us vision, gives us direction, but it also gives us the courage to go after it. Real biblical prophecy encourages us. I remember one time when we were... Um, kind of honestly we were learning and growing and developing in the prophetic and we were doing a prophetic exercise in fact I don't even think I was I wasn't in the room matter of fact I, I just had the story told to me and it's just kind of funny listening to this guy he was teaching the room on prophecy and he said okay so we're gonna we're gonna practice this and remember prophecy is encouraging yada 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 and so he says okay we'll just go around the room and he, he called a girl out and said hey let's just ask the Lord to give us prophetic words for this particular person and there was this uh this one old timer and uh, you could tell they had been trained in prophecy a little bit different. And uh, she even, she just wore, she just had a face. And she, uh, he said, okay, won't, won't you give her a prophetic word? And she looked across the room with this, this young girl and she just went, I just see sadness. Just sadness all over you. And I'm like, what about encouragement did you not get in this exercise? <laughs> 
Let me say this. Prophetically, you might see sadness. But then prophetically, you should call those things that be not as though they are and prophesy joy. I'm not denying what you see. I'm not denying that there might not be sadness on somebody. But calling sadness increases sadness. Calling joy turns sadness into joy. That's prophecy. That is why God, God doesn't just want you to operate in prophecy. He wants you to get around prophecy and even have prophecies in your own life that you're stewarding. He wants you to have markers in the future. He wants you to have things that you're going after. He doesn't want you to be stagnant. He wants you to continue to grow, continue to develop. He has plans for you. Again, you will not have the life God designed. You will have the life God, God or you decide. You will, I don't think I said that right. You will not have the life God designed. You will have the life that you decide. So what I'm trying to do is I'm, I'm aiming my decisions at the life that he designed for me. And sometimes I don't know which way I'm going. And getting around prophetic people, they say, hey, hey, this is your future. This is your destiny. Here's a marker in your future. Go after this. And not just go after it. I'm encouraging you with this. I'm speaking those things into your life that maybe aren't already, already there. True desire is followed by a plan. If you say, man, I don't think I have a single prophetic word over my life. I don't think I've ever prophesied. I don't think I've ever heard any of those things. Then get around prophetic people. Read books about prophecy. Go to conferences about prophecy. That in and of itself, this, let me just say this. Take vacation time to grow spiritually. <gasps> what about the lake? Desire is followed by a plan. Don't convince me you desire something if you don't plan for it. Ask my wife, I desire hunting and fishing, so I make plans. <laughs> I have never, one time in my life, made a plan to take out the trash. And to be quite honest with you, I don't know how it gets taken out. <laughs> All I know is sometimes there's trash there, sometimes it disappears. Jesus is alive, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Why don't we plan to take out the trash? Because I don't want to take out the trash. That's why I had kids. <laughs> I did my part. <laughs> I'm getting myself in trouble now. Um, no, but when you desire something, you make plans. And if the Bible says desire prophecy, especially desire prophecy, then I propose we need to be making plans around the prophetic. We need to, if this is not your home church, it's a good one. It's not the only good one. But you need to be going to a church that talks about prophecy. Why? Because Braden said so? Or did this scripture just say so? This is supposed to be something you're in pursuit of. God wants to use prophecy to keep you on track and to keep you encouraged. Get around people that, that want to help you with that. I remember I was telling, I told the first service, this, well, the Lubbock service this morning, uh, I, I, I owe so much to my parents because we took vacations. Back in the day, we would go to the, the, it was called the Believer's Convention. Anybody know about the Believer's Conventions in, in Fort Worth? A few, few of you do. Uh, we, we would go to Believer. You know you're a real Christian when you go to a Believer's Convention. <laughs> and I remember my parents taking vacation time. And dragging their kid. We didn't have no money either. We couldn't even afford to go out to eat while we were there. So we would have a, we had a cooler with homemade pimento cheese and spam salad sandwiches in the cooler in the back of our old van. 
and we would go to this believers convention. In between sessions, we would go out in our, into the van and get uh, Dr. Thunder. Come on, somebody. Yeah. Dr. Thunder. <laughs> Dr. Thunder and a homemade pimento cheese sandwich, and we would eat that, stand around this fountain at the Fort Worth Convention Center, and then get back in. Why? Because we were planning to grow. And I say, we, my parents were planning to grow, and they had plans for their children to seek God. Let me, hear, hear me, parents. Your job is not to entertain your kids. It's to train them. I lo, I'm, nothing, I'm, I'm, I'm for entertainment. I'm for all the fun things. But at the end of, the, at the end of your days, your heavenly father's not going to say, hey, you did a great job entertaining your kids. They were hellions. In fact, they're not here, but they had fun. Train them. They're watching what you're planning. They're watching what you do with your time. And what you're planning for and what you're doing with your time is telling them a lot about where they should go and what you actually believe. I know that's sobering, but it should be. Plan to be around the prophetic. Plan to get around people who know, who believe in and operate in the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. Number four, what do I got? Oh, one minute? No way. Um, <laughs> number four, I talk about this a lot. You know this. Number four, spiritual family. This one's huge to me. I believe more than I think I knew in spiritual family. It wasn't one of the things I grew up watching, good spiritual family. In fact, way back in the day, you'd watch someone on TV and say, that was my spiritual father. And I'm like, he doesn't even know your name. <laughs> he literally doesn't even know who you are. Now, he may be a great teacher, and I'll tell you, for a lot of those people on TV, I watched them, I was trained by them, I was equipped by them, but I'm telling you, I was not fathered by them. A father, you can walk into the room and they know what kind of day you're having. You need someone ingrained in your life. You need spiritual family around you. That's what's so beautiful about the church. You need people who know your life, that are involved in your life, that care about your life. Not just, the Bible says you have many teachers, but not many fathers. Not, not, not many people that know you, that really know you. Scripture says this in Proverbs 11, verse 14, without wise leadership, a nation falls, but there's safety in having many advisors. I think we all, all could agree that there are probably several decisions that we've made in our life that we'd have a whole lot less heartache if before we did it, we'd have just asked somebody. You just haul off and did something because that's what you wanted to do. And you're like, hmm, you know, if I probably would have asked somebody, that would have probably said, that's dumb. <laughs> that's real dumb. <laughs> ask somebody. Connect with the Spirit. And not just anybody. Don't just ask your friends unless your friends are pursuing God. Well, my girlfriends think he's hot, so I'm saying yes. <laughs> I don't care what your girlfriends think. <laughs> are your girlfriends pursuing godly relationships? Do they want a man of God, a leader? I love what the, the, the guy that got baptized when he was getting emotional said, I'm ready to lead my home. I freaking love that. I freaking love that. You need somebody that that's what they're thinking about, leading their home spiritually. And you need spiritual family that's trying to get you into that relationship, not some other one. You need people around you that care about where you're headed. You need, let me say it one more way and then we'll move on. You need somebody in your life that can actually tell you what to do. Nobody likes to hear that anymore. We love the idea of collaboration. Let's talk about it. 
got a big decision coming up. Can we just talk about it? I'm going to do what I want to do anyway, but can we just talk about it so I feel good about what we're talking about? <laughs> do you have somebody in your life that can tell you what to do? Scriptural. Did you know you don't even get to collaborate with God until you're good with him being the boss? It says it in Proverbs, delight yourself in the Lord, the boss. Good attitude about the boss. Then you get the desires of your heart. What's the, what's the principle here? He wants, to, he wants you to be able to live from your heart, but you or him cannot trust your heart until you've got a good attitude with him, him being the boss. We need people in our lives that we have permission to tell us what to do, not just talk with us about it and then we're going to go do what we want anyway. And again, at the end of the day, if you've got someone in your life that is trying to manipulate and control, and I'm your spiritual father and I'm this, that you have to do this, and, that's not what I'm talking about. That, that authority thing, it's actually supposed to flow up. Sons and daughters are supposed to be pursuing fathers. You need to go to someone and say, hey, I need you to know this. You have this place in my life. Someone shouldn't be telling you, I have this place in your life. But you should be going to someone saying, hey, I need you in my life. I need that wisdom in my life. So there's going to be some times that I come to you and I have questions and I need answers and I'm asking you to tell me the truth. Now, if you have that person in your life and they tell you the truth and you never do it, don't be surprised if they don't want to do that anymore. What's the point of asking if you're actually not going to do it? I've got people like that in my life, and t- there are times that I did not want to hear from them, to be honest with you. I remember one time in particular, I was like, oh, I really want to do this one thing, but I know if I call this guy, he's going to tell me no. He's going to have 30 reasons why he's smarter than me, more mature than me. And to my surprise, when I chose submission, when I chose spiritual family, I called, and he said, no, no, I actually think that's a good idea. And I was like, Really? You need people in your life that can tell you what to do. Last one, we'll close here, wisdom. If Luke 2.52 tells us that Jesus had to grow in wisdom, I think we have some growing to do too. And wisdom, wisdom is the appropriate application of truth. The appropriate application of truth. I'm just going to fast forward. I'm not even going to read these scriptures. Two stories in scripture teach us one applied truth well, one, dis, one did not. In Genesis, we, we see the story of, of Joseph who had a dream. And in this dream, he, he was going to, the dream prophetically showed him that he was going to be the ruler over his own brothers and over his own father, over his whole family. The problem was, jo- was Joseph didn't have a good relationship already with his brothers. They didn't like him already because they knew that he was the favorite. So he already knew that he didn't, they didn't like him. But when he got this dream, I, just, I, I could just see this attitude in the way it was worded in Scripture. It's almost like, oh, really? You don't like me? Well, I had a dream. Yeah, and uh, my bundle was bigger than y'all's bundle, and all y'all's bundles were bound down in my bundle. Pretty much going to be the boss. Now, how many of you guys know, prophetically, the, the, the information was true. It was truth, but it was not a wise application of the truth. And I propose to you, there are truths in your life that you can even not handle them wisely. They'll, they'll happen, they'll, you'll get there, but you can save yourself a lot of heartache if you'll grow in wisdom and learn wise ways, non-arrogant, humble ways to apply the truth. Wisdom is the appropriate apl- application of truth. We need to learn not just to make truthful decisions, Decisions based on truth, but decisions saturated with the wisdom of God. 
Joseph didn't do that. We go fast forward to the New, uh, New Testament, Acts chapter 10. Peter is having this uh, moment, this encounter, this trance, this dream where the Lord lifts down this sheet and there's all these animals on there. And, and he hears the Lord speak and says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter's like, no, 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 we're, we're Jews. We don't eat those animals. And the Lord speaks to him and says, don't call anything impure that I have called pure. And so Peter's like, well, ribeyes it is. You know, I'm, I was, I'm waiting for this my whole life, you know. Um, Fast forward, he comes out of the trance. As he comes out of the trance, the Lord says, there's going to be some guys come. Go with them. Go with them. So he hears God clearly. He's got a truth. He's got a word from the Lord. The people that come are Gentiles. Long story short, he's, he's hanging out with these Gentiles. And as he goes into their house, he says, look, as you guys know, Jews like myself, I'm not supposed to be having ribeyes with you guys. That's what, the, that's what my law teaches. And then he goes on to say, but the Lord has revealed something to me. The Lord has revealed something to me. He revealed to me, I love his confidence here. The Lord revealed to me, because at first he didn't like the dream when he had about eating. He said, no, no, Lord, I can't do that. But he says, the Lord has revealed to me that I should never call anything impure that God has called pure. Here's what's interesting. In the dream, it was about what he ate. But when he got around the Gentiles, he realized, no, 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 that truth, there was a wise application of this truth to show these Gentiles that even though you weren't born of the bloodline of the Jews, because of what Jesus in the, did on the cross, you're now a part of the family. One guy did not apply the dream well. One guy applied the dream perfectly. Even though he didn't like what it was at the first, in the first place, he didn't understand what it was in the first place, he held on, he stewarded that thing until he found the way to apply that truth to what God had for him in the ministry of his life. What are we talking about here? <laughs> Kingdom decision-making. Decisions that get me to the life that God designed for me to have. Decisions that get me to a place that's further along in my journey than I am right now. The foundation of the Word, the Holy Spirit, prophecy, spiritual family, and wisdom. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you felt encouraged by today's message. If you need prayer or would like to connect with us, find us on social media or by going to renewlifechurch.com.